Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, January 26, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air and the Memorial of Saints Timothy and Titus. I'm John Morales. Happy Friday. It's uh, good to be with you along with uh, Glenn Leverens and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us early this morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app as we get ready for the weekend. Now, yesterday we celebrated the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Today we honor Saints Timothy and Titus, two of Paul's companions and disciples, two bishops of the Catholic Church in its earliest days. Tomorrow is uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz concentration camp in 1945. And at his uh, weekly general audience, Pope Francis remembered this day as our Rome correspondent Ashley Narona reports. And at the end of his catechesis today, he highlighted that International Holocaust Remembrance Day is coming up on the 27th of January. And he spoke about the importance of remembering and condemning the extermination of Jews and people of other faiths who were also killed for their faith during that time. He said hatred and violence can never be justified and again spoke a phrase that we've heard from him many times, only people in the weapons and arms industry win in wars, John. And uh, Pope Francis appealed for an end to the wars in Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza as we uh, continue to pray for peace. As always, uh, every Friday, we always take a moment to remember the sacred heart of Jesus along with the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just take a moment and always uh, remember on Fridays uh, those uh, important events. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here on this Friday morning? Well, a couple of stories, John, uh, that lead the news today that uh, might challenge some of our uh, thinking, some of our teaching in the Catholic Church. One dealing with immigrants and uh, the uh, Texas border, once again in the news, razor wire put there and kept there by uh, Texas uh, invoking the right to uh, protect that state against invasion. That's what Governor Abbott is calling the influx, the uh, massive influx of migrants uh, from the Mexican border. And 25 other governors have signed on to agree uh, to that, all but one of the Republican governors across the country agreeing that Texas has the right to basically disobey the U.S. Supreme Court to keep the razor wire in place. And uh, some are actually uh, sending their uh, troops there in terms of uh, National Guard troops and uh, uh, presidential candidate Donald Trump encouraging that action as well. And uh, we will uh, break it open and talk about it a lot more here in a few moments uh, with Logan Church, the political director of Catholic Vote. Uh, meanwhile, the other uh, story that you mentioned at the top of the news, uh, the execution. Uh, what's, what is the latest on that? A new method, uh, execution by nitrogen hypoxia. Now in the history books, convicted murderer Kenneth Eugene Smith put to death by Alabama last night. Uh, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, as well as the Supreme Court, uh, turned down an opportunity to stay that execution, and uh, it went as planned. Um, Smith had been uh, in line to be uh, executed 
in 2022, but the procedure didn't work. Uh, they started that about 10 o'clock, and by midnight they weren't able to put him to death. And so uh, being that he made it to the next day, uh, they weren't allowed to continue what they were working on then, and so they tried a new method this time. Well, meanwhile, on a, on a much uh, lighter note, uh, are you ready for a big weekend of uh, championship games, uh, the conference championships in the NFL this weekend, Glenn? Well, hard to beat some of the games in the action last weekend, but uh, these will be a doozy on the AFC side. You've got Baltimore hosting Kansas City. It's the sixth AFC championship game in a row the Chiefs have been to, and uh, they look to give... Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, all the trouble he can handle <laughs> in the afternoon game, starting at 2 Central. And coming up uh, in the evening, the Lions trying to carry on that role that they've had going for much of the season. And uh, they will be uh, trying to get past the 49ers to make it to the Super Bowl. Well, I can tell you firsthand that the uh, city of Detroit, the Motor City, is pretty excited uh, for for the Lions uh, because uh, this is only uh, the second ever conference championship uh, for Detroit after they uh, beat uh, Tampa Bay in the divisional round. So. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm going on uh, this weekend uh, in uh, both of those uh, conference championship games. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on them, Glenn. Well, you know, if the Cubs can do it after 100 or so years, uh, maybe the Lions can after about 66 years or so. Hey, you just never know. 1957 was the last time that they won the NFL championship, and that was obviously uh, way before uh, the Super Bowl era. Hey, uh, speaking of sp- Super Bowl era, uh, you know, for us Bear fans, uh, today is a, a day you never forget. January 26, 1986, Mike Ditka and the Bears in Super Bowl twenty, Chicago beating uh, New England 46-10 to in a, in a game that I will never forget. I was just a, a young kid at the time, but, uh, you know, it's the only Super Bowl championship we've ever had here in the Windy City. Uh, I remember that game well, actually, as a huge Vikings fan. They were arch rivals, of course, and actually my wife's uncle worked on the equipment team for the Bears, but that wasn't enough to get me to cheer for the Bears, even though, you know, family was on the sideline there because I was so into the Vikings and uh, was the only one in the room as the family watched it cheer for the Patriots uh, in a Rare losing effort for New England there, but uh, that's right. The uh, Super Bowl shuffle came about that year, and uh, Refrigerator Perry running it in, and uh, lots of characters, including uh, future Viking quarterback uh, Jim McMahon, too. How could we ever forget the punky QB? Great memories. Uh, As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Sure thing, John. First things first, we always start every morning in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all of the many blessings. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church and in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Our Lord Jesus Christ promised before he ascended into heaven that he would be with us always. Jesus is always present to us now and forever. He has no reason to change because he is God in the flesh. He cannot change. Even though we live in a world that is always changing and eventually will pass away, the word made flesh. Jesus the Lord will never change and he is with us always through the Holy Spirit, in the sacraments, and par excellence in the Holy Eucharist. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the chaplet of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. As always, you can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now uh, let's talk about uh, the border crisis uh, that is uh, in the headlines here this morning. Republican lawmakers introduced legislation uh, yesterday that would ban federal authorities from removing razor wire or other barriers from the U.S.-Mexico border. And, of course, this move comes after the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a narrow 5-4 ruling earlier uh, this week, allowing federal authorities to do exactly just that. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is in an ongoing dispute with the Biden administration over his state's enforcement of these immigration laws, and he's uh, deployed the Texas National Guard to stem the flow of migrants. Uh, Governor Abbott also issued a statement on Texas's constitutional right to self-defense, and he spoke to Fox News. And what Texas is asserting is our Article 1, Section 10 right of self-defense because the president of the United States is not fulfilling his duty to enforce the laws passed by Congress that deny illegal entry into the United States. The Biden administration has really, truly abdicated its responsibility to secure the border and enforce the laws. Texas, very simply, is securing the border. And so we put up the razor wire that you were talking about, Bill, and we put up all these barricades that actually have denied illegal entry. Uh, And as you pointed out also in that screen, there are criminals coming across our border. Texas has a right as a state to stop criminals from coming into our state, to make arrests of those criminals. The immigration system and the border issue is the primary issue in America right now. This is an issue upon which Joe Biden gets a grade of F and deserves to be fired. Joining us live this morning is Logan Church, the political director of Catholic Vote, with uh, much more on this Texas standoff as uh, the issue of immigration uh, continues uh, to be uh, front and center during uh, this current uh, presidential campaign. Good morning, Logan. Thanks so much uh, for joining us here bright and early. Uh, It is great to be with you once again. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on. Logan, I'd love to get your reaction to uh, the the words of Governor Abbott uh, along with his uh, statement uh, on this ongoing dispute with the Biden administration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really impressive that we've seen so many um, Republican governors stand up. And I think that it's time. This is a good time for Catholics to start rethinking our outlook on the immigration crisis and what's going on. At the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. It's a crisis. Governor Abbott is just doing his touch his state. Um, And so I I do think it's, it's a very interesting time for us right now. Well, Logan, we're talking about 25 
uh, governors, basically half of the U.S. governors all mm-hmm. in support of uh, Texas Governor Abbott. Uh, that is a pretty impressive uh, show of unity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think people are kind of tired. You know, I, I like look at, at what we're seeing. Look at what's coming into our country. We know that fentanyl is killing over 100,000 Americans every year. That's our children that are dying. We know that drug lords and the cartel are making a very lucrative business um, off of their trafficking across our border. Um, and not to mention that we know we know of terrorists and individuals on the watch list that are making their way across the southern border, and we're not doing anything about it. People should be very concerned. Yeah, there's no question about it. And it's such a controversial issue because for us as Catholics, of course, we we, we need to look at the issue of immigration uh, with uh, with compassion and, uh, and, and love in our hearts. But at the same time, you know, countries have a right to defend their borders. Otherwise, they wouldn't be countries. Absolutely. I mean, Catholic social teaching is very clear. We It recognizes the authority of states to defend our borders, and it all, just as much as it recognize, recognizes the family has a right to protect their own property or themselves. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt uh, that, that it's a difficult issue for, for people of faith. Uh, but, you know, no country uh, can, can handle, you know, two, 300,000 uh, immigrants coming in month after month. In fact, the month of uh, December, I believe, was, uh, was the, the all-time record, oh, well over 300,000 that came in. And the, the total right now is anywhere between 8 million to 10 million uh, um, since the Biden administration took over. Absolutely. And I agree. As Catholics, we should be looking to make sure that we're providing asylum for those in need, that we are providing help to those who are affected by the cartels and by the sex trafficking rings that we see going on over the border. Um, We absolutely need to be providing, you know, migrant protection protocols. But that does not mean being Catholic does not mean we need to have an open border and subject our families and our country to something we can't even handle. Uh, this is not just a Texas issue. Uh, obviously, uh, this issue of, of immigration and the border crisis is affecting uh, cities uh, and states all uh, across the country. It's it's really a, an American issue. I mean, you look at, at New York, Chicago, Boston, Denver, all of these cities are having to deal uh, with the results of what uh, the, the Biden administration is doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a Chicago councilman just recently uh, proposed, I believe yesterday, to start letting individuals let migrants stay in their homes because they've run out of shelter to keep them in the city. Um, You had in New York, they were kicking kids out of their schools, forcing kids to go remote so that way migrants could sleep in their schools. Um, And if that doesn't tell you that this is too much for us to handle. It's too much for even our biggest cities to handle. Um, you know, maybe maybe there should be a different solution here. Well, the, the issue of immigration, uh, as I mentioned, uh, is, is definitely top uh, and, and center. Uh, it is the, the top issue among uh, voters, 41 percent, according to some recent polls, um, more than the economy in the, the uh, recent caucuses in Iowa and the uh, New Hampshire primary. And uh, it's about the same number, you know, over 40 percent of, uh, of Americans think that this issue is the issue in this campaign uh, year. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are feeling the pressure. 
Um, you know, I start talking to individuals all across the U.S. And there are people who, who never even really thought about immigration, maybe last election cycle. Now it's on the forefront of their mind because they know that it's heating up. And like I said, you know, I, I think that immigration is a beautiful process. Legal immigration is a beautiful process that we've had in America for a very long time. And there's no reason we shouldn't be working to better that better that system rather than just opening the floodgates. Well, I'm so glad you, that you use that term legal immigration, because obviously there is a difference between legal and illegal. Uh, I heard somebody making the analogy, you know, it's like you're, you're waiting uh, for your lunch at McDonald's after, uh, you know, waiting for half an hour and you finally get close to the front of the line and somebody just cuts in front of you. And basically, that's mm -hmm. exactly what's happening with uh, with the so many, uh, you know, millions of immigrants that are cutting in front of those folks who are waiting uh, patiently uh, for the legal process. Yes, absolutely. I was just talking to a couple um, immigrants from Greece a few weeks back, and they were talking, they were getting their work visas to come here to, to work on the bridges in New York and Chicago. And we were talking about the immigration process for them, and they were talking about how difficult it is and how difficult it still is to come into the country, yet you could fly to the southern border and just walk right in. But they don't want to do it that way. They want to do it the right way. And it was so sad to hear their stories of frustration where they just want to come and make an honest li living and make our community and our country better. Um, but yet they, they get pushed to the back of the line. You know, another question that uh, has been discussed by some of the pundits is why is it legal for uh, sanctuary cities to ignore federal law and allow illegal immigrants in, but it's not legal for Texas to defy the federal law uh, to keep illegal immigrants out? <laughs> I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, you know, I think we see this quite a bit. Um, our rules don't always apply to everyone, you know, and I, I think we see that often on, you know, when you see the parties split, there's often more rules that apply to one side than the other. Do you, what is your take on, on why the Biden administration is is doing this? Why they're, uh, for all practical purposes, it's open borders. Do you think that they're, you know, thinking, hey, we want to have more Democratic voters down the, the road and, and totally change uh, the structure of our country? Yeah, I think that's definitely a huge part of it in the long term. That's one thing that I would say that the left has always done really well is they've they've projected, you know, much long term, much long term plans, much more long term plans than, than the right has. However, I would also say it's more than that. I would say the Biden administration wants to do absolutely everything the opposite of anything they saw the previous administration do. Um, and so any time that, you know, President Trump would have stood for something, it seems that Joe Biden has has made it a point to take a very strong stance on the opposite side. Logan, do you have any any sense of uh, what's going to happen? Because, you know, there's some folks that are, are worried that this is the beginning of a, of a, of a type of uh, of civil war between uh, the, the government and, and the state of, of Texas, you know, the Alamo all over again. And, uh, you know, what do you think? Biden's going to do. Uh, is he going to force Texas to comply? Well, he's yet to send people in to clip the wires as of this morning, even though the ruling was what it was. I don't think Texas is going to back down. And I think other governors and other states are going to get just as heated as in their support of Governor Abbott. And so I'm very curious to see where this goes. I'm very curious to see what Biden does next, because, you know, it is an election year. So 
it'll be interesting. Well, uh, yeah, speaking of this election year, do you, do you think that the issue of immigration is going to continue to be uh, the biggest issue uh, in, our, in our country, uh, you know, between now and November? Absolutely. Between immigration and the economy, I think that's going to be where most people's focuses are, um, especially as we're seeing grocery prices to shoot back up in the in the stores. Um, it's going to be I think those two issues are going to be what's on the front of people's minds when they walk into vote. Well, I'd like you to know that uh, I'm a big fan of The Loop and the, the great work that Catholic Vote does. I uh, really uh, appreciate uh, the, the Catholic perspective, uh, not just on immigration, but on all the so many issues that are important to everyday Catholics. Uh, where can our listeners learn more about Catholic Vote? Yeah, check us out on CatholicVote.org. We're going to be getting involved in several states across the U.S. as we roll into 2024, and we would love to get you involved in our campaigns. Well, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate uh, your perspective, Logan. Thanks so much for having me. God bless. God bless you, too. Logan Church, the political director of Catholic Vote, CatholicVote.org. Uh, uh, we need to take a short break. When we come back, Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland, will be with us to talk about Catholics in Hollywood and the Oscars, how to be Catholic in an industry with so many pressures. So stay with us as Morning Air continues here on this Friday on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Business like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. I love it. How appropriate. Uh, Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We're going to talk about the movies uh, this morning. That's why I love uh, that uh, bumper. As always, you can send us an email directly if uh, you want to uh, share something with us. Morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of of uh, the program, 888-914-9149. Now, are you a movie fan? Earlier this week, the Oscar nominations were announced. Uh, They came after a year where Hollywood actors were on strike, and it made me think about how difficult it must be to be part of the entertainment industry these days. I take an opportunity this morning to recognize just a a few uh, Hollywood actors uh, that stand up for their Catholic faith in an industry that is full of social and cultural pressures. Listen uh, to one of my all-time favorites, Jim Caviezel, the actor who played Jesus in the epic of The Passion of the Christ, and not being ashamed of his Catholic faith. Oftentimes when we think about, uh, you know, conversion, we, it, it's not necessarily going to make us wealthier, but it will do one thing. It will give us a heart, mm-hmm. you know, filled with just great joy that... that uh, We've been lacking, and I, and certainly in my industry, I've seen so many famous people, so wealthy, yeah. but are dead. Yeah. And and so, the my Lord's message to me was, okay, you felt my love come through you. Mm. You can't judge them. You have to be loved for them, because yeah. that's the only Christ yeah. you're ever going to know. 
Powerful words from uh, Jim Caviezel. Joining us live this morning from Cooper, Florida, is corporate entrepreneur Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland, with much more on Catholics in Hollywood. Juan Carlos has a career track record in the international and Hispanic media and entertainment industries. Good morning, Juan Carlos. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us. It is a, a joy to be with you once again. John, good morning uh, to you and good morning to all your audience. It's a pleasure to be here again in 2024. Well, uh, Juan Carlos, uh, obviously uh, Hollywood is full of uh, a lot of uh, glamorous celebrities, uh, powerful uh, studio executives. You, you know, you've got Beverly Hills and, of course, the recent Oscars and all of that glitter and glamour. And, and some people even think of uh, Hollywood as being anti-religious or, or pushing ideas that uh, are totally against our Catholic values. But that's not the case for every actor or every uh, producer or director working in the industry. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, it's, it's a large and glamorous uh, industry with a lot of responsibility because it's generating, uh, it's influencing culture permanently since, since its inception. And, and, and it, what's interesting about that is that somehow the Catholic Church, that's our mission, right? The Catholic Church is about shaping the culture and, and giving an example out there uh, through, through, through very a clear values. So when it gets to Hollywood, what's interesting is that if you scratch a little bit under the surface, you see that the Catholic Church used to be, and is still uh, very influential uh, upon Hollywood. Uh, there's, there used to be specific uh, guidelines, if you will, uh, in the industry back in the 40s and 50s that Hollywood paid close attention because the reality is that there's a lot of people out there that want quality content. They want uh, content that is going to uh, uh, lift them up, not... not uh, destroy their moral uh, values. So it's, it's, it's intimately related, both industries, the Catholic Church and the Hollywood industry, they're both entities are intimately related for the longest time. And Hollywood has uh, come a long way uh, from the the 1940s where uh, a movie like Song of Bernadette, I believe it was in in 1942, could win the Academy Award. And and Jennifer Jones, uh, who played Bernadette, uh, Subaru, could uh, win uh, the Oscar for Best Actress. Uh, You know, those days are are so much uh, behind us these days. It's very, very seldom do you have uh, a, a, a film that has you know, a, a religious aspect to it, like like it was back in the old days. It seemed like there was a lot of, of, of movies back then, you know, uh, the, the Bells of St. Mary and so many others uh, yes. that were really Catholic. Yes, uh, I think definitely there has been a turning point since then. I think there was, the, there was a peak point or a tipping point at that moment in time, probably in the 60s. The things have changed, but what, what's interesting is that the audience... Still, still can vote, right? You might not get an Oscar, but you might get a fantastic box office, like we saw last year with Sound of Freedom, Cabisel, right? So it's like people are still aware. Uh, the, the the audience still can vote with their wallets, and and we're seeing that that's still effective uh, here in the U.S. And and thanks to God, we have a a small army of Catholic uh, uh, producers, directors actors, actresses that are still uh, 
part of the fabric of Hollywood, uh, probably not in a very vocal way, but probably acting and doing their own silent apostolate inside the industry, trying to, to, to lead. And, and that's, that's, that's wonderful. That's, that's something that is still alive. Uh, across Hollywood, and and we just need to celebrate that once in a while. And I think that's why this this talk is so so good. What do you think are some of the the challenges uh, that Catholics in Hollywood are uh, facing on a day to day basis? Definitely, I mean it's it's kind of interesting. It's it's like you see guys like Mark Wahlberg, right? Like he's done so good, and he's such a humble guy, and. But obviously, they face this uh, very difficult kind of um, 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 ban. Some, some Caviezel is, is an example, right? Like he was, he couldn't get a, a, a leading uh, role in a movie for many, many, many years until someone inside uh, gave him another option. Mel Gibson gave him another option. So there's networks within Hollywood. This is a, a business based on relationships and friendships, quite frankly. So. It's it's the faith is there, but also it's friendship and it's 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 the professional performance and there's many agendas that just um, uh, get all uh, world in uh, when it gets to production box office and 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 the ideas there are specific agendas and but it, the, it's a free market right so a lot of these actors just opt not to participate uh, if the script is not correct if the story is not aligned with their values, and, and that's still out there, but it's, it's difficult. It's not a simple decision because a lot of the budgets might not be working in, in your favor. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant struggle, um, but there's good people. Again, like uh, I think we're, we're starting to see, especially among Latinos, like you have Eduardo Velastegui pulling uh, a lot of resources, a lot of great, great plots and, and stories that uh, are, are being funded. So... Again, nothing happens if we don't work hard. Nothing happens if we don't have good stories, good narratives that can compete. And, and, and at the end of the day, create enough uh, economic value and economic engine that justifies the, the investment. And that's why we have to keep working hard towards. Just a, 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 a quick note, you know, Jim Caviezel, as I mentioned at the beginning, is one of my favorite, uh, uh, you know, Catholic Hollywood actors, of course, playing Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. But, you know, he's pro-life and he's not afraid to share his, uh, his faith, uh, you know, obviously not afraid to take on a controversial role uh, like he did with, uh, recently with Sound of Freedom. And, uh, you know, there are places out there for someone like Jim Caviezel. Absolutely. And I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these topics get um, used or there's our leverage for political, especially in a year like 2024, those are political elements, political leverage um, and tools that are being used and they're encouraged or not encouraged. And, and, and the only way to, to, to be able to go into those topics and, and, and shine some light in some of these topics out there is, is through financial and intense capital coming through to produce something that makes sense. So you have to have the best actors, you have to have a great story, great quality production, and then marketing. There's nothing, if, if, if the production might be fantastic, but if there's not enough money, sometimes the marketing costs more than the movie uh, to, get, to, get it, to, to get some traction, then it's difficult for these uh, um, messages to come out and cut through the clutter right now there's so much there's never been so much content out there in the history of 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 communication and media and 
And that's why marketing has become very, very important. And that's capital intense. And we need to support these type of initiatives with our pockets. You mentioned Mark Wahlberg. Uh, He was actually uh, here on on Morning Air last year uh, just before uh, his uh, movie uh, Father Stew uh, came out. And I know that he's uh, on a journey and he's had a a conversion as well. How does uh, the Catholic faith, um, you know, affect uh, Mark Wahlberg as an actor? I think Mark, and I think every single Catholic knows this, um, uh, that basically our faith is basically our pillar and our backbone. So um, he's claimed that several times in public, right? Like it's Catholicism. I think he's from Boston, and it's an important part of his life and his family and the tradition. So especially in, a, in, a, in an industry that is so competitive and an industry that is so... Uh, unpredictable. You need a strong base. You need a strong root, and Catholicism provides that to to many of these actors, and it's their it's their rock, and that keeps them going. And and you see that not because these careers are spanning out for decades, and they need to be uh, productive. They like they have to be focused, and they have to compete and be the best. So. It's 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 you know it's a sport. If you see it as a sport, you have to be at the top of your game all the time to get the best leading roles and to be able to participate. And that takes a lot of energy and discipline and and spirituality to be able to hold in in the long run and not um, fold in into many temptations. Also in Hollywood, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of power, so there's always a constant temptation to get into many many different um, uh, scenes, right? Drugs, alcoholism. Uh, so, so definitely our faith is an advantage in that environment. Uh, another Hollywood uh, Catholic actor who uh, also uh, plays Jesus in, in the series The Chosen now uh, going into their fourth year is, of course, uh, Jonathan Romy. And uh, Romy is, uh, is very vocal about his faith. He, he talks about the, the rosary, uh, being pro-life. Uh, this guy is on fire. Yes, I think that for me was like when I watched uh, The Chosen for the first time five, six years ago, I can't remember when it came out, I, I understood it was a Christian principle uh, uh, initiative and production. And then all of a sudden, uh, Rome, it was surprising for me like to understand like he was Catholic, one of the few Catholics in the production. I mean, there were Christians around it. But he came like uh, like very proud about it. And, and what I remember, the words of that kind of came out i think it was like uh, the christians were very happy to have such a nice production but they didn't have a a party until they had a, a catholic coming in and and it's an important role that he played there and he's been a superstar and, and very recognized but also uh, strategically if you think about it having someone and promoting that you have catholic a catholic lead actor that also brings in additional audience eyeballs and revenue in this case for the production so it's like it's just very logical and and very um uh economical uh, feasible to to keep uh uh advertising that you have catholic leads because the audiences love that like faith does it does pay to use faith to create economic value and to have larger box offices there's a huge catholic population in America, as you know, and, and your audience is part of that. But so, so sometimes it makes sense to, to, to pull that lever and to create more value. Why not? Like uh, we have to compete with everything we have right now, quite frankly. And, and, and if that's going to create value for these productions and, and for, for, for our faith and, 
and for um, the culture in general, why not? So I think that's he's he's a superstar. He's a very smart guy. Yeah, very smart guy. And 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 I've heard like he's being approached by people in the airports, just going to com- trying to get go to confession to him uh, because he's <laughs> he's just a Jesus figure walking in the U.S. right now. No question about it. And he is just uh, one of the uh, numerous uh, prominent Catholic uh, actors in Hollywood. And obviously, uh, you know, we didn't have time to get into many others. But uh, I appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, Authentically uh, Catholic. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for being with us, uh, Juan Carlos. Happy to be here with you. And uh, just go to familyplayland.com whenever you have a chance to check out some of these uh, additional stories. Thanks so much. Uh, Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland. We need to take a short pause when we come back. Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will join us to discuss how Democrats for Life are still fighting wokeism in order to uh, support uh, women and children. So stay with us. There is much more to come on this Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the relevant radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's great to be with you on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our number is... uh 888 It's uh, toll-free and sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. So if you want to jump in and be part of the conversation, uh, you can give us a call this morning. Now, I have a question for you. Can you be a Democrat and be pro-life? Uh, can you still be part of a party whose platform in recent years is blatantly pro-abortion. You probably are thinking to yourself, uh, not at all. But in fact, there are still people in the Democratic Party that still believe in the founding principles and have not accepted the current cultural wins within their party. Our next guest, uh, Mary Helen Fiorito, recently had a conversation with the executive director of Democrats for Life of America, Kristen Day, for the Edify podcast from Catholic Vote. Why are you still a Democrat? I believe in the traditional values of what Democrats should stand for. And they have veered away from the focus on protecting the unborn and representing labor. You know, when we see more uh, labor workers voting Republican, uh, Mm -hmm. Democrats used to be the labor party. They're really moving away from what their core values are. And uh, especially on the issue of protecting the vulnerable. And I really feel a duty to stay here and bring the party back to its roots um, Mm. because it's so far moving in the wrong direction to protect people and help people. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito for much more on Democrats for Life. Mary's an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She holds the position of Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. It's so good to be with you uh, here early this morning. 
Hi, good morning, John, and good morning to all the listeners. Well, Mary, you you recently had this uh, discussion with uh, Kristen Day, the executive director of Democrats for Life of America. We just heard that that clip. Um, t- talk to us about that conversation and uh, uh, about uh, Democrats for Life and uh, what they're all about. Right. So it's a very interesting organization, and also you know quite quite an old one in terms of the pro life movement. Um, so it's, you know, as the name suggests, it's people who either formally or informally inf- affiliate themselves with the Democratic Party, yet are very much committed to the pro-life cause. And it it does seem a little bit um, inconsistent because the Democratic Party now has part of its party platform um, is stated, a stated commitment to abortion on demand through the entire duration of pregnancy. So, you know, one wonders why someone would remain a Democrat, given given that inconsistency, um, and given that the party actually has this as a plank in its platform. Um, that's a very distressing thing. And But you look back at sort of the history of the Democratic Party in the United States, you know, I mean, when my, my parents both emigrated here, and my dad, um, you know, once my parents became citizens and could vote, my dad became the local Democratic precinct captain. It really was the party of the little guy, right? Um, of immigrants and workers, as Kristen Day mentioned in that clip you used from the Edify podcast I hosted, um, it, it was the, the party of the little person. And just gradually, it's, you know, just become so much, un- I mean, it's almost unrecognizable <laughs> as the Democratic Party of even the 1980s. You know, you, you might uh, remember uh, Democratic Governor Robert P. Casey, who was the the governor of the state of Pennsylvania, and um, he even wrote a book called Fighting for Life, very staunchly pro-life uh, Democratic governor. And in fact, the, the big abortion case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, he is the Casey in that decision because he enacted in Pennsylvania, signed into law some, you know, it was kind of, I guess, the first chip in the iceberg of Roe versus Wade, which were some reasonable restrictions like parental notification and um, restrictions on abortion uh, after uh, viability, those kind of things. And um, and he was able to successfully navigate that in his in his one state. But so, you know, you, you have. Uh, Dan Lipinski, who was the great pro-life Democratic congressman, uh, I think he served seven or eight terms. And, you know, another wonderful example of a pro-life Democrat, somebody who really fought for the little guy. But you look in the case of Lipinski, and this was just two or three years ago, his own party primaried him um, simply because he was pro-life. They could not even tolerate one pro-life Democrat being a part of Congress. And I think— You know, uh, uh, we've had uh, Congressman Lipinski here on on the show on Morning Air, and uh, he is a passionate guy, uh, loves his Catholic faith, uh, staunchly pro-life. I want to just play a, a little clip of uh, Dan Lipinski uh, from a few years ago uh, in a conversation that he had on EWTN in which he talked about how difficult it is to be a pro-life Democrat and to run for office. It's very tough because the way primaries work right now, the uh, pro-choice side, uh, pro-abortion side has a lot of power in, in the primaries, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of money. They put a lot of money in uh, against me in, in my primary. Uh, to try to defeat me. Uh, You don't have that same sort of effort on the uh, pro-life side, uh, especially when it comes to uh, Democratic primaries. And and that is, uh, that's something I think needs to change. I think that's something that that the uh, pro-life movement needs to to change. We we need to have a, we need to have pro-life representatives in both parties. 
that's good for the pro-life movement. Mary, uh, your take on uh, former Congressman Dan Lipinski's uh, words. Well, you know, I have to, in uh, the interest of full disclosure, I have to, to let you know, uh, Dan and I went to high school together, so um, I am very much a pro-Dan pro Lipinski person and um, uh, kind of biased in favor of him. But, I, you know, I think he's right. You know, why Why should people who have have a commitment to a lot of what the Democratic Party stands for, not all of it, but why should we be forced out by the abortion extremists who have essentially taken over the party with their money? I don't think, I think Dan's right, they have so much money. And, uh, you know, the abortion industry is a very, very lucrative industry. And so they have millions of dollars. I mean, when when Dan was primaried um, in uh, in Illinois, I think Planned Parenthood put $3 million into a primary to defeat him. I mean, that's an extraordinary amount of money for a primary race in, in, for a congressional seat. That is, that's the kind of money you spend in the general election, not that you spend in the primary, but that's the kind of uh, you know, cash that they have on hand, John. And so, um, you know, and unfortunately, money makes a big difference. They were able to, you know, really uh, put out some incredibly... Um, dishonest and unflattering ads about Dan. And, you know, I, that that's what can sway a voter from time to time. So, um, it, you know, and we just don't in the pro-life movement, we don't have access because we're not a for-profit movement, right? We don't have, we're not making tens of thousands of dollars each day from abortions. So we don't have that, those same kind of resources. But, you know, when people are, you know, uh, made familiar with the pro-life stand and, you know, what it is that we want to do and, and how it is that we love both mother and child, that we really are the, the party of the other person. Um, and, you know, it, I, I think people are very much swayed by that. But this has been, I think, to the Democratic Party's, um, you know, to, to their own, uh, you know, demise, because I, I can't tell you how many people I knew just, you know, growing up in Chicago as a, as a Catholic and a daughter of immigrants, how everybody was a Democrat, right? And I can't tell you, you know, offhand, probably more than 10 people I know who would still vote that way. Um, I think once kind of Ronald Reagan got that nose under the tent, right? And and he, he peeled off all sorts of Democrats. But now you see, you know, I mean, this is... And he was a former Democrat. Right, exactly. Now you see, I mean, this is really interesting, the, the, the number of former Democrats who have expressed interest in voting for Donald Trump. If you go to any of his rallies or you watch them, it's a lot of working class people. Sure. So there is something now that the Democratic Party, I think, has lost, and they and they have lost, you know, not only on workers' issues, and I do think that's part of it, but also on these issues of life, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, late-term abortions don't resonate with voters. They don't like them, you know, uh, cutting parents out of abortion decisions. They don't like that, you know, doing gender transition surgeries on minors without telling their parents. Like, voters, most, the average American just doesn't like or is not comfortable with those things. So, they may kind of say that they're Democrat, you know, if you ask them, but, you know, there's a, there's a curtain on that polling booth for a reason, right? And so I think when they go in, they often vote very differently. Well, Mary, a final minute. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, being a pro-life Democrat is like a, a fish out of water. Is it still possible to be a, a Democrat uh, and defend life, to be a, a Democratic uh, politician and defend life? 
Well, it you know, I think you can be a Democratic politician on the local level. It is very difficult, as Congressman Lipinski alluded to in that EWTN interview, to do it on a national level because the national party, uh, at, a, at a national level, the party is so committed to abortion on demand. And if you do not... Um, you know, walk in lockstep with that position, they're going to make it very hard for you. So if you're a very wealthy independent candidate, it might be possible for you to stay. But if you have to rely on the party for financial support when you're running, then it, it's it's just a given. You have to say that you support abortion or they, they will destroy you. We saw that in the case of Lipinski. So, but on a local level, you know, and there's that old saying, all politics is local. <laughs> on a local level, I think it's still very much possible. And I think, you know, at, at some point the party is going to wake up and realize that they have just they're just so out of step with the average American and they're going to continue to lose elections unless they and they, they truly embrace being a big tent and allowing people from all different kinds of viewpoints uh, to be able to run for office and, you know, to be able to be comfortable in a party that's supposed to be about diversity and inclusion. No doubt the issue of abortion is in play uh, in this uh, presidential campaign year. Mary, as always, uh, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, John, and have a great weekend. Many blessings to you. Morning Air contributor Mary Helen Fiorito, and now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Sermons We See by Edgar Guest. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put into action is what everybody needs. When I see a deed of kindness, I'm eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles, then a strong man stands behind. Just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today are not the ones who tell them, but the ones who show the way. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Uh, coming up uh, next hour here on Morning Air, we've uh, made a few changes to the lineup this morning. Uh, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg uh, will look ahead to this Sunday's gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance, uh, plus digital media priest, uh, Father David Michael Moses, the parochial vicar of Christ the Good Shepherd Catholic Church in suburban Houston, uh, will join us to discuss what to do if you are dealing with anxiety. So stay with us. There is much more to come. On this uh, Friday in the final hour of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app.